Hey, Dan. So what did you want to talk about this week? Hey, Matt. Well, you know what I thought was interesting is we've, uh, you know, these days and for the last year or two, people have talked about the controversy with uh, Lewis and Max ah, and yes. Abu Dhabi in 2021. I'm not going You've back said there. the forbidden phrase. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I thought what would be interesting, and I rewatched this race specifically because of this event. And yeah. and I thought it might be fun to talk about. There was one race that was considered, you know, the most controversial race in F1 history prior to Abu, mm. Abu Dhabi in 2021. And I and I thought it might be fun to talk about what was the previously, and some still say there's been articles written about this in Road and Track. I mean, this is something yeah. that's been heavily referenced over the years. So I thought, eh, it might be fun to talk about. Of controversial races, the only ones that come to mind are when uh, Schumacher deliberately wrecked in Monaco. And then there were, I think, two, I think, back-to-back -back incidents between Senna and Prost, like at the end of the season in back-to-back -back years. Is that is it any of those? <laughs> this has to do with this the definitely the Cena Prost era. So Aha, yeah, that, okay. that's what this has to do with. But the the Schumacher one, I remember that race. I was watching it live when it happened. That was in Monaco, but that was not a title deciding race. It was just something that was really obvious. Michael oh, fair it, enough. So that, okay. So yeah. that he could have pole position. And it really made him look bad. And I'm sure that he regretted doing it afterwards because it just made him look really bad. Yeah, petty. Yeah. <laughs> and even I, I was a Schumacher fan at the time. And I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. You're, you're just feeding all these people that don't like you yeah. right now. So. <laughs> but, you know, and it made me. But at, at the same time, I'm a realist that I go, well, you know, maybe he's not as nice as I think he is. You know, like yeah. he will. He will yeah. go to extremes to protect his position at times, but I didn't like it because it was cheating. It, it is a bit. Yeah. I don't know. That yeah. to me just goes to show that every driver has their flaws, no matter how much you like them and admire them and respect them, yeah. they're still going to have their flaws. So he put his car across the track in a, in a yeah. hairpin turn in such a way that it wasn't damaged, but nobody could continue on behind him. Right. <laughs> in, in, you know, like in Q3 with a minute to go, ensuring that he would get pole position, you know? Well, when, and he's when... not, he's not the only one to be accused of deliberately crashing in Monaco. Like even no, just no, recently no. Perez was, it was hinted, it was suggested. It was never like confirmed or anything, obviously, but yeah. Perez this last year in Monaco in 2022. Yeah. Yeah. In order for Max to get the, the, yeah pole position or whatever and that wasn't true i don't think perez would ever do that but it's the schumacher incident that makes people think of it i know <laughs> yeah but the other one i was thinking of was actually a, a couple of years prior where leclerc got pole and on mm. the following he had provisional pole yeah. and then while everyone was setting their laps he crashed and people were like eh was that deliberate so he could keep pole and uh, yeah, he's, so. yeah, yeah that, that, that would be a whole nother uh, podcast was Leclerc and Monaco. <laughs> yeah, jeez, oh, I know the poor guy's cursed. But anyway, this particular race that I rewatched and it was one that I was obviously aware of. So it was kind of fun. Mm -hmm. But this was this was the Japanese Grand Prix in Suzuka in 1989. 89. Okay. 89. Okay. And so this has remained a very controversial race to this day. And some say the most controversial because it was, it was really interesting. Okay. And 
um, you know, in essence, it, it, the the setup is pretty brief for this. So coming down to the end of the season, you had two McLaren drivers, teammates. You had Art and Senate and Alain Prost. Mm-hmm. And one of the two of them was going to win the World Drivers Championship. Mm-hmm. And so, but Senna had to win the last two races to win the title. And Senna... Uh, Senna did, and then Prost only had to win one of the two. So if he won in if he won in Suzuka, for example, he was guaranteed the title. Like like that's what it was. Uh, that uh, Senna had to win to even have a chance. If he didn't win, mm. then it went to Prost. Mm-hmm. And then the race in the final race of the season was in Australia, and it would be like mm. it wouldn't be a title decider. It would just be like hey, last race of the season, and blah blah blah. Right. But anyway, so, and Senna set the pole position, so it looked good for him because he mm-hmm. was on he was on pole for the race. Unfortunately, at the beginning of the race, he had a horrible start, and Alain Prost got an almost a jump start. In fact, the commentators, one of them in particular, kept wanting to rewatch the beginning of the race, and they just didn't really show it. Mm. And he was never convinced that Prost didn't, like, this guy says he he either, he took a risk and either hit the gas pedal before the light was green and the car didn't move until it was green, you know, kind of like in a drag race, you know, where people oh, run yeah. Or he, 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 this guy was convinced that there's no way he saw the green and then hit the gas. And I think he was right. And they, and okay. I don't think, and this was, was Prost or was the Senna allegedly jump starting? Okay. No, it was Prost that jump started. So, what happened was, even though Senna had pole, Prost uh, was leading down into the first turn okay. and maintained the lead of the race the whole time. Oh, man. And then, okay. and, and there were other things like, you know, Senna would be catching up to him and then Prost would negotiate the traffic in such a way that you know he would pass any lapped cars you know before a section of turns and then oh. and that would leave Senna stuck you know behind these cars until the next straights and, oh man and that just kept happening over and over again and then they go into the pits and Prost had like the quickest pit stop he's ever had and Senna had one that was like two seconds longer than it should have been, you know <laughs> oh no so it just at one point after the they changed tires around the 21st lap of the race, I believe. The tires were supposed to go like 18 laps, and they it was a 53-lap race, okay, as I remember. And, and somewhere around the 21st lap is when Prost came in for tires, and he got a new set of tires. Then just a lap or two after that, uh, Senna comes in. Mm-hmm. But when Senna re-entered the track, he was like nine and a half seconds behind the leader. But you were still only... He had a lot of racing left, and but here's the thing: like a tenth, a quarter of a second, a tenth of a second, you know, a third of a second, he starts slowly chipping away at Prost's lead. And you know, like if you looked at the math, you're like, he's got a chance to do this. And sure enough, eventually, like somewhere around the early late 30s, lap 40, 42, somewhere in there, they get to the point where Senna, he's right on Prost's gearbox. You know, like at the end of the straights, he's right on his gearbox. And then, you know, and it seems like, wow, he's he's faster. You know, like Senna's going to uh-huh. do this. He's faster. But then Prost would gain a second or two. So maybe Senna was saving his tires, you know, or whatever. There might have been mm. some dirty air, but th- that didn't seem to be a big issue. So this race was very exciting, and there were a lot of lap cars. The other thing that that was really interesting about this race was by the end of it, the attrition was 
there were a couple things that were interesting, especially in light of what some of our podcasts have discussed lately. For example, there were more than 20 cars. There were like 26 cars or 23 or 24 that started the race. Really? So, oh yeah. Yeah, there were definitely more than just 20. So, you know, they had more teams back then. The other thing after, you know, we talked about our imaginary Formula One Unlimited series last week. Uh-huh. There were three different engine types in 1989. There was a V12, V10, and V8s. So nice. Yeah, and so that was really interesting. You definitely, it was more of wow. you know what we've been imagining for Formula Unlimited. It was more yeah. like that than it certainly is nowadays. You know where we our fears that Formula One is going to become a spec race. Like IndyCar, yeah. and we don't like that. So I remember they still some of the teams still used V12s up through the '90s, and I think was it early 2000s when it switched to the the V8s. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd have to look. I don't. I actually don't. I don't remember, remember the exact yeah. date, but they did go through a V10 phase. Some yeah. people were using those, and then eventually, you know, then they mandate, you know, V8s. Oh, then, that's right. It was the V10s first. That Those were in the right. late 90s, early 2000s. And then right. late 2000s, they, they switched to the 8s, I think. They went to 8s. Or and mid. Then, and I don't remember the went, exact then, years. What really helped Lewis is when they went to V6s. <laughs> right, yeah. And they redesigned the car, and they had the, you know, turbocharged V6s, and that's when, yeah. you know... The Silver Arrow was by far the fastest car up until recently, <laughs> up until last year. So anyway, but yeah. getting back to 1989, so you know this this whole battle and like Senna has to win, you know, and mm-hmm. and and it was just and I found it exciting. Like I couldn't remember. Like I'm like okay, I'm gonna forget I know anything about this race, and I got excited. Like I was getting into it. Like come on, come on, mm. get him, get him, get him. You know, even though I knew what was gonna happen. Yeah. And then so at the end of a straight, Senna comes down and tries to take an inside corner that he really and there be people that disagree with me, and you know I don't want to get flamed for this, but <laughs> my my opinion is he did not have the corner. Um. Mm. Well. I'll put it this way. Senna, it, he, he created a situation where there was going to be a crash if Senna just maintained his line. And he did, was in the lead going into the uh. corner. Uh, Pro, Prost was. Prost was in the lead going into the corner. And Prost was going to have to, there would be a wreck if he didn't take evasive action. Oh, yeah. So, um, and he didn't take invasive action and Senna plowed into the side of him, you know, mm. right in the apex oh, of this. Oh, I remember turn. this. I right. remember seeing people talk like uh, YouTube videos or, or whomever else making videos about this. I, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, this yeah. is this is like a big deal because at that point, uh, Senna gets out of his car, like, well, oh, that's yeah. it, you know, we're done. Or Prost did. Prost got out of his car like, okay, that's it. I'm world champion. It's over. You know, not the way he necessarily wanted it. But there was one race left in, you know, Australia that he could take his victory laps. But but anyway, Senna's like, no, 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 no. And he got the marshals to kind of move his car around. And then... There was like a exit. This there was an mm-hmm. exit after after this hairpin turn, and it had some barriers there. Senna got his car going in, and he went around these barriers, and he rejoined the track, but he did skip a chicane to do so. Oh right! Instead of spinning the car around and rejoining the track where he left, which he should have done, 
he just kind of went around these barriers, you know, zigzagged around these barriers and then re-entered the track on the other side of the chicane. And, but his, uh, it's like the left front part of his front wing, the front ring was damaged and hanging down. The left front part was gone completely. And by the, mm. before he even got back to the pits, the entire front wing had fallen off. Mm. So he had no front wing, which was, you know, making the car squirrely in any kind of corner. So he oh, really yeah. had to limit his speed. But bottom line is he gets back to the pits. They throw a front wing on his car and he reenters the race. And now the guy leading the race is Alessandro Nanini, who was one of my favorite drivers at the time. He mm. was driving for Benetton. Okay. And and I'm like, oh, this is this is gonna be good. <laughs> you know, but he's really far behind him, but he starts catching up. And I kid you not, at the same corner, he oh, pulls no. the same maneuver on Nanini. Oh no. And Nanini's like, seconds better than being out. And he and he he you know, instead of doing what, what Prost did, he he backed off and you know gave center of the room to make the corner and Senate took the lead. And, mm. and sure enough, Alessandro Nanini finished second. And there is something interesting. I don't know if a lot of people know about this, but like I said, Nanini was an excellent driver, drove for Benetton, one of my favorite guys. And he, I know like nothing about this guy. Well, that's, he's one of these unfortunate, and this happens so much in racing. You know, you can think of like Davy Allison and people like this, but oh yeah, he was in a helicopter accident and he lost one of his, one of his arms. Oh, at the forearm. No. That's my memory. I haven't re-looked that up, but my memory is he, he, he was in some type of a helicopter accident and he lost uh i think it was his left arm you know got uh, you know my my memory at the time and this is from like that era was that he got like chopped off at the forearm like or mm. the elbow or something and so that was the end of his career it was very sad because he was a great driver and you know but anyway it's just one of those tragedies that sometimes happens in motorsports you know but anyway, so he wins second, which is great. The other thing that was kind of interesting with this race was Martin Brundle was in this race. Oh, yeah. And he got sixth place, even though he was lapped. Wow. <laughs> and, and and here's the reason. It was the attrition. This is why I brought up, like, how many cars? I think only 12 or 13 cars finished the race. Whoa. Yeah, the, the attrition. So, like, half race, of them DNF'd. Yes. Yeah, almost wow. half. Almost half the field DNF'd. And most of it was due to mechanical errors. It wasn't. There were a few crashes and things like that. But there were, hmm. you know, this, this, the cars just weren't quite as reliable then. Reliability wasn't the issue, as we've talked about. You know, mm -hmm. the FIA mm -hmm. wasn't mandating reliability. So, um, but anyway, so, um, the bottom line is Senna wins the race and he takes the podium. You know, they go through the thing mm -hmm. and he's, he's number one. And, but, but instantly there's, you know, controversy and uh, there was a, um, there was a lot. And so they kind of challenged the FIA, the FIA says, Hey, you know, no, this, you know, we're not doing this. The, you know, this, you didn't, you, you had help from the marshals, which automatically disqualified the car and you, and you missed the chicane and da, 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 da. That's true. And then yeah. I think they appealed it. And at the time the FIA was, they weren't as heavily involved in these things as they are now. And they did not like being challenged on this by McLaren. And it was McLaren mm. that went to bat for Senna, which was interesting considering they were going to be the, 
one of their two guys was going to win. So there seemed to be some. Oh, some favoritism. You know, which was that in and of itself was interesting. But what yeah. they did is they're like, oh, you're going to challenge us. So what they did is they find Senna. Like they gave him some huge fine and they banned him from the sport for six months. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, I don't know how much that affected the season. I'd have to go back and look to see if that was, if they, you know, kind of reversed the ban and let him race in, in 1990. But I I didn't bother going back and looking at that. But that was the ruling. Like, they heavily penalized him. They threw the book at him. Yeah. Definitely for challenging them. And the thing is, the next race, and and I didn't watch the next race in 89, the last race of the season in mm-hmm. Australia, but I know Sinem was on pole. <laughs> I don't remember how it ended, but I know he was on pole at that So race. wait, if they banned him, they had to have overturned that if he raced well, in the next race. Well, it was the following year. I think they oh, were okay, okay. from the following year because he was definitely, or the ban came at some point around there, but it wasn't going to, yeah, I think it was still under appeal. And okay, so, okay. The, so he could race in the final race. Yeah. Anyway, but Alon Prost, you know, and he's not my favorite driver. I, I you know, I was definitely more of a Cine fan than a Prost fan. Mm-hmm. Prost seemed kind of arrogant to me, to be honest. And I mean, good driver, but I just, I didn't like his attitude and the way he approached things. So, but, but that race is, if you have F1 TV, it is available from the 1989 season as a full race, as opposed to the highlights type, type. Of right, thing. right. Yeah. Cause at, in the like sixties, they basically do like a highlight sort of deal, but I noticed that they did have full races going back quite a ways. So. Yeah. And I would yeah. I would highly recommend to anybody who like who enjoys Formula One to go back if you're a fan and you want a little bit of history. Um, this race is can and even Google it, do a little research on it, watch the race, or you know watch it first, then maybe you know study up on it. But but it was considered if you think Abu Dhabi was controversial, you really need to <laughs> you know educate yourself about uh, the Japanese Grand Prix in 1989 because it was very very controversial mm. but you know but anyway and it, i think it was fun to see martin brundle there and you know yeah, he yeah. did well even though he was lapped he got sixth place and nanini was in second so it was a neat race but in senate just the thing was he drove his heart out it was a great race to see him doing everything he could because he had to win yeah. he had to win and he really wanted to and he just put it all on the line and yeah um and he you know, in theory, he he won, but he didn't, you know? Yeah. Well, I can, this is one of those things where I can totally see the Marshall's perspective because, or the, the FIA, whoever was the mm-hmm. making these decisions. It right? was the I, FIA, yeah. The FIA, yeah. So I, I can see their, I can totally see their position, right? Because if you're, if you're looking at it, it's like, okay, Senna doesn't really have business trying to pass there and he would be deemed at fault for the crash. And so then he cuts the corner and also requires help from the marshals to do it. So it's like, yeah, I mean, DNFing him, disqualifying him, I guess, would make sense. But it does seem kind of weird that they would just like everyone and their brother is going to over going to appeal that. Like, obviously, you would appeal that because of the implication. And then to, to turn around and throw the book at him for appealing it, it's like, I don't. Well, well, That's well, just well odd. to be fair, I think the the ban for six months had to do with unsafe driving. Okay. 
Okay. And he had, he had had a morning or two because he, you know, there were times where he would, but he did have a reputation for forcing people to take evasive action to take positions. That is true. Yeah. And, you know, early on, he was a lot of drivers early on, like Max and other people, I ever, you know, a lot of drivers have done this. They just, mm -hmm. they're too aggressive and they'll still do it if they have to. You know, Lewis has done it. Everybody's done it. Mm -hmm. You know, where they'll kind of force somebody into taking an evasive, you know, position or there's a crash. Right. And so Cinna, and he did it twice in the same race, which is yeah. it's just Nanini didn't take the bait. But yeah, yeah, I remember an interview. I want to say it was they they had it in the Senna documentary. I think it was just called mm. Senna, but I, I, oh, I don't remember. Probably, but yeah, yeah. there was an interview with Martin Brundle and it was he was talking about their uh, I want to say Formula Two days where they were racing against each other, Martin mm. Brundle and Senna. And there was one instant incident where Senna was coming up to to overtake Martin Brundle and he comes in on the inside where there isn't room and Martin Brundle's like nah I ain't doing that and they crash yeah. yep. and he's like this is my corner I'm not conceding and exactly. they crash and yep. he said his theory was that what he believed Senna was doing with that is testing the other driver to know who can I push around and who can't I. Oh, that's very true. Very, very true. He did do that. Who's going to back down to me and who's going to actually stand up and stand their ground? And he said, and Martin Brundle said this, he was like, after that, Senna never did that on, on me ever again, whereas he did on other people. So That is a true statement. And I yeah. think they even mentioned that during this race. Yeah, um, yeah. They mentioned that that exact thing with Brundle. And, and, and Senna would, he, he was a little bit like Dale, um, Dale Earnhardt, to be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah. A little yeah, bit yeah. like the Intimidator is that he would, there were some people that he would basically, you knew that he would crash you out when he was doing something <laughs> like that. And, yeah, and he would, he did. and people <laughs> he did do that. They either they either go fine, I'm not moving, crash me out, and then mm -hmm. Senna wouldn't do it to them. Yeah, you know, it's like I remember one time I was being bullied in junior high school, you know, and and mm -hmm. um, oh my gosh, it was always in the locker room, and I hated it, you know. And I talked to my dad about it, and my dad goes, he goes, he goes, is this kid bigger than you? And I go, yeah, he is. You know, he can kill me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and my dad goes, Well, tell you what, he goes, if you want you want it to end, I go, Yeah. And he goes, he goes, take a swing. He goes, just start the fight, hit the guy once as hard as you can in the nose. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, you might you might get the tar beat out of you, but he'll never do it again. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and I go, You're cool with that? He goes, Yeah, I'll I'll back you up, you know. <laughs> so I'm like, Okay. All right. So and I just thought I you know, and I I kind of realized intuitively that he was right. And sure enough, the next week, you know, this kid starts teasing me again. And it was just because mm. it was a regular thing. And he was like a foot taller than me. And yeah. But anyway, so I just, I got mad and I swung as hard as I could at his face. And I, and I, my knuckles brushed his chin and he jumped back and he's like, whoa. And everyone's like, whoa. And he's like, hey, man, I'm just teasing. I'm just playing around with you. You know, we were just kidding, man. Don't get don't get so mad. And he never wow. did it again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and he didn't beat me to death because I yeah. didn't connect, you know. But it was enough to where that was it. You know? Yeah. 
know, so sometimes, and that's kind of like, you know, you know, in that case, the bully was Senna in my analogy and I'm yeah. like Brundle or somebody, but right. it was like, <laughs> at some point, you know, you just have to stand up for yourself even mm-hmm. if you're going to crash or get beaten, you know, and they, and they will leave you alone. They're only going to tease people that don't fight back. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's a junior high logic. But, um, you know, in this case, yeah, Senna made you make that decision. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting is that Max Verstappen does that today. And this was actually one of the reasons I think this is my theory uh, is one of the reasons I think he and Lewis got together so many times during the 2021 season Mm -hmm. is because initially Max did that where he was like, okay, we're you move or we crash to to Lewis and Lewis moved. And so (laughs) Max is like, okay, I can bully you around. Cool. I'll, I'll just push you around then. And then after a while, Lewis was like, no, I'm done with this. I'm not doing this anymore. And that's when you had things like Monaco or not Monaco, uh, Monza and things like that happened where where Lewis is just like, I've had enough of this. I'm not moving. And that's when they ended up crashing uh, at, at times. And so it's interesting to see how some drivers will take that tactic and you can criticize them for it all you want. And, you know, fair enough. But it's it's interesting to see that I I just found it interesting that like this is something that Senna did and now I'm seeing Max right. do that too. So well, I, I, you know, there's like guys in their twenties, you know, they're full of testosterone. True. And, yeah. As they say, piss and vinegar. <laughs> yeah. And I know I was that way when I I remember yeah. playing you know, even church softball, you know, just doing things I should not have done and playing baseball. Oh yeah. And stuff. And like, if I was in any kind of competition, sports related competitive thing, like I would absolutely push the limit, you know? Oh yeah. And take it very seriously. And I just couldn't help myself. Like Mm -hmm. I had to do it, you know, I just could not, you know, and other people did know that, you know, and, uh, it, it's kind of funny, you know, your dad actually <laughs> had this tactic. He called, Uh-oh. you know, this is kind of funny, but, you know, maybe this is going too too far off the rails. But, you know, we, <laughs> we would we would do a game where we would throw a, a ball or a football like way across the park, like those little footballs that you can throw like way far. Sure. And then the goal was, you know, the other guy, whoever it is at the time, you know, we took turns, he catches it. And then we have to see how far he gets before you tackle him. And this was in a park, you know, that had okay. thick, <laughs> okay. thick, thick grass. But, okay. you know, and normally what happens is the guy with the ball kind of slows down when you, when he meets the other guys and then kind of tries to dance around him and, you know, pull some maneuver and get around. Him. Sure. Sure. Well, your dad, all of a sudden, one time, he catches the ball and he pumps his arm up and down and makes the sound of a freight train. And he goes, <laughs> freight train. And he just took off, like running full speed at us. And we're like, no, there's no way we're going to try it. Because you know, he was bigger than me at the time, even though he's yeah. a year younger. And he's bigger than Roger and whoever else was there. And we're like, oh, wait a minute. That's not fair. <laughs> so, you know, eventually we had to, the only way to beat him was to sacrifice the body and, you know, jump in front of this freight train <laughs> and get pummeled and tackle him, you know. Oh, that's funny. 
and it became, but it was, I remember thinking like, God, why didn't I think of this? <laughs> and then of course we all started doing it, but except uh, Roger, because he weighed like, you know, 60 pounds or something. But, yeah. You know, uh, but I'll have to remind then, him of that. Yeah. Yeah. Remind him of the freight train incident, but you know, it was, it yeah. worked, you know, because it's like, you realized you had to get hurt to get yeah. him down. And you know, that yeah. was a, that was something he changed, you know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, kid them. But anyway, that was, yeah. and yeah, a lot of drivers, when guys are young, this is why like 40 year old guys don't win for Formula One championships as True. often. They're just, they don't have that same True. level of drive, you know. You know, sorry, so, sorry, Lewis, but. Or, or in like, especially in stuff like football and, and other sports that are a lot more like yeah. physical impact on your body it's like yeah i don't want to do that <laughs> yeah now you know there is there are a couple of uh, exemptions like N nolan ryan for example you know like you know one of the most famous photographs of nolan ryan is he's got a guy in a headlock and he's beating him in the head and he's like 42 <laughs> years old when he's doing it you know it's like or 41 or something you know, it's like wow. oh nolan you know a guy rushed the mound you know and Wow, uh, he be he beamed him and he rushed him down, <laughs> and, you know. But it was like that picture is one of the most iconic pictures of Nolan Ryan, you know, to this day. You know, it was when he was with the Texas Rangers, I believe. So, but it, you know, all right, so I gotta see this to, but, to yeah. Google. Where is the <laughs> Google Nolan Ryan? You know, uh, oh, I see know, it. <laughs> yeah, see, oh, that's he's got hilarious. The guy in the headlock, and you see his fist there, just ready to punch yeah. him in the head. You know. Yeah. And the 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 catcher or um is the yeah the whoever... catcher's trying to yeah 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 pull the he's guy like off of yeah <laughs> that's a great uh, that's photo great. That, that photo still sells like I think there's probably guys my age that still have that picture up in their garage you know <laughs> oh that's oh here's one of an autographed version of that picture <laughs> oh yeah it's, it's yeah if he signs <laughs> autographs you know these they're gonna sell that picture and and there's you know people oh, that remember man. that because you know, it just he was like, you know, he had one of the longest careers in baseball, and he, he yeah, like, like almost twenty five years. You know, it was amazing. Oh, that's so funny. But yeah, but even as an older guy, so there are exceptions. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes the old uh, testosterone takes over. You know, but, yeah. But for the most part, it's not constant like yeah. it is in younger guys. You know, yeah. So anyway, but yeah, that was uh, so it, it's a fun race to to talk about. Yeah. It's a fun race to um, you know to revisit. I would highly recommend if you're interested in the in Formula One or the history of it, or you just want to know a little bit more about the sport. That's a great race to watch. Yeah, so. I think that is an interesting thing to think about. Is like that was the most controversial race for a, such a long time, and then yes. now Abu Dhabi probably is. I guess I don't know. And it's just like controversy is just going to happen. It's some small controversy ha happens every single year. And yeah. it's just, you know, a matter of time before some other big something happens. So, yeah, it get, exactly right. There will be a race in the future that makes people forget about 2021 Abu Dhabi, yeah. you know, because it's going to be something else and a different yeah. set of drivers and a different set of circumstances and We'll be talking about that one. <laughs> what's What's funny about the Suzuka incident was that that was either the first time or the second time that those two got together at Suzuka, I think, because mm. one of them was they were both on McLaren, which was that one. And then the other one was, I believe Prost was at Ferrari and mm. Senna was at it was still at McLaren. So that would have been subsequent too. maybe it was the next year. <laughs> it might have been. 
It might have been the, in in 1990. It might have been. I I have a memory here, and this could be faulty, but I have a memory of watching footage of that of that race where Prost was in Ferrari, and I want to say it was the start of the race, and mm. Senna dive bombs down the inside, and they come together, and it's like, well, ain't that some deja vu? But yeah, yeah, yeah. The, this so. other one came toward the end of the race, which made it right. all the more controversial and exciting. But yeah, yeah, I. I do you think you're right on that? I think it happened again, like subsequently, yeah. like in 1990, whenever Prost was with Ferrari. So. Yeah, something like that. But, but anyway, yeah, it was. A, yeah, they they were not at McLaren. They were not happy teammates. No, they. So. I remember from what I remember, they were somewhat friendly with each other very early on, and that very quickly faded. And yes. they ended up becoming teammates at McLaren and at Ferrari and at Williams, maybe. Maybe not at Williams, but I remember that after a certain amount of time, they were just like, I will never be teammates with that guy again, ever. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they didn't just... like each other. And that no. happens. That it happens. happens. Yeah. It happens at every former motorsport. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm curious to see how the two Frenchmen are going to get along on the Renault team this year because they oh, have yeah. a history of not liking each other either. So this that might be something that's something to keep an eye on in 2023 for sure you know well, and like, that's that's an excellent segue if i do say so yeah. myself because <laughs> that was the other thing we wanted to talk about is like what what are some of the big kind of stories that we're gonna see play out this year right and i think that's a pretty big one is how yeah. are the two french guys on the french team who don't have the greatest of uh, history with each other? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right now everything's fine, but they haven't they haven't raced each other on that yeah. team yet. <laughs> yeah, I remember they were pretty big rivals. Uh, like they didn't seem to get along that well in some of the junior categories. So maybe right. that's all and, in and the past. And who are we talking about? Just to make sure that everybody knows. Oh yeah, Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon at Alpine. So right. yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, so I maybe it was something that's like eh, they were kids and who cares anymore. But maybe there will be some of that kind of lingering around still, and they won't want to cooperate. Yeah, you know, it's. I think it's going to depend on how on if if there appears to be any favoritism in the pits, and you know, yeah, if one if who gets the better set of engineers, or yeah. you know. You know, if they both have to come in for tires during a yeah. yellow, who or who gets put first, who gets stacked behind, who gets the new upgrades first. There's going to be, you know, kind of like what we saw with Ferrari this year. And, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. True, kinda, actually. And but these guys are probably going to be more likely to take it personally because they do have a. I'm kind of hoping for a little bit of bad blood between those two because I think it'll make the year more exciting. It will know? make and things interesting, yeah. It'd be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm all about honest honesty. <laughs> so if they don't like each other, they don't like. It. I think it it makes it more interesting. So, or at least something yeah. to keep an eye on. You know, yeah, it's going to be interesting. We got a, we got Williams has a new rookie that looks pretty good. You know, and he's American, so there's that. and he's American, Logan yeah, Sargent, Logan Sargent. So yeah, yeah we're uh, we're happy for that and that's yeah. going to be exciting i think that's something else to keep an eye on if you had to pick like the biggest story for this year to to watch what what do you yeah. think that would be well i know the biggest story to me is this is is mercedes going to hit the ground running and be competitive at the beginning of the season or are they basically going to pick up where they left off and they're yeah. st and they still it's going to be 
you know, like a third into the season or a quarter or half into the season before they're competitive, if they are. Yeah. My gut says that while they were trying to catch up, the other teams were working on 2023. Yeah. So I think Mercedes is going to be on the back foot a little bit this year. Yeah. It may not be. There may be some tracks where they dominate that they didn't last year. Mercedes will win a race or two this year. There's no question they're going to win races this year. That's not going to happen two years in a row. Yeah, I'd say so. But I don't see them being dominant. And I think I think it's all Red Bull and Max, you know, all things being equal. If Max stays healthy and things, mm-hmm. I, I think he's going to be hard to beat. I think you're going to see a three-peat for – Yeah. That's my prediction for this year. Yeah, I, I think I think that's fair. If I were to pick a biggest story, I would also probably pick Mercedes just because it's, it's such a big thing. It's like how can you have a team that's so dominant for so long just be nowhere, right? And so – I I expect them to be vaguely in the same position they are currently with probably a bit of an improvement. Right. right. Um, I don't expect them to just out the gate be blasting everybody and just, you know, dominating. That's I don't think I don't see that. But happening. There, there will be an expectation. That That's that true. Is the way it's going to. And you know what? I would love that. Honestly, if they're if they just immediately out the gate are on Ferrari and Red Bull's level, I, I would love that. That's going to create a lot of consternation in the other teams. But I have it a, will. I have a question for you. Who do you think is the biggest wild card team this year? The biggest wild card team. Honestly, probably McLaren. If I had to. Pick. Interesting. That or Aston Martin. That or Aston Martin. I think it's Ferrari. I think really? Ferrari's the biggest wild card team. But I'd like to hear why you chose McLaren or Aston Martin. Okay, well, so for first off, for McLaren, they kind of were in the background all year. And when that happens, it mm. seems to me that that's when teams, if if a team isn't like, you know, really competitive and on it, you kind of expect that they're they're doing things that nobody's seeing and they're going to come out swinging the next year or something. And I'm kind of hoping more than expecting that to happen with McLaren. Yeah. But, you know, I, I would love to see that. Plus, obviously, Piastri is a massive question mark. He is yeah. hugely talented, but that doesn't mean that's going to translate one to one. And he has an incredibly competitive teammate. So it's like and, that and to he me, added a lot of pressure to, to himself in yeah. the way he got there. So. <laughs> yeah. And so that that to me is like, how how is that going to play out? That's a massive question mark. They could either do really, really well and be, you know, biting at the ankles of the top three, or they could, you know, take a few steps back. I don't, it's, it's hard to imagine they would, they would be worse than the last two years. But, you know. I think if Ferrari, they have a new team boss, right? And yeah. And if they've, solve the reliability issues and if leclerc is happy with his new team boss that he liked from you know previously then i think ferrari is going to do better this year than they did last year and that's not good news for mercedes or for Max, or for red bull honest. yeah and no yeah. I, I would agree with you i guess i was just thinking wild card is the what's the biggest unknown with a decent amount of potential and ferrari to me i would kind of to me, that would be the expected thing to happen is for them to be much more comfortable and consistent this year. Well, it's a wild card because we got a new. I, mean, I was thinking anyway that it's a wild card because we got a new boss and blah blah. True, blah, you know, true, true. They, yeah, they underperformed 
in 2022 and i i'm hoping that we don't under that they don't underperform in 2023 true yeah and if we if we see you know basically if they're at 90% 95% in 2023 it's going to be really interesting yeah so yeah. as long no, as that's they true. straighten out their strategery problems yes <laughs> no yeah. more clown show hopefully the clowns don't come out in 2023 i mean i will believe it when i see it sir <laughs> but you're you, you know i like your point about mclaren because there's a certain member of that team who drug them down that's no longer there so yeah. that's going to be interesting yeah so, so yeah we'll see and then as far as Aston Martin goes to me, it's like, yeah, you've, you've kind of got this, this guy in, in Lance Stroll, you've got this guy who uh, obviously is good, but just seems to not really step up much and is just kind of there. So maybe he'll put it to, you know, pull things together and actually have a really good season this year. Like he's done in the past. I don't know that. So that's a question mark, but he does. He is accident prone. He, does he is accident prone. Things, you know, like he did at Coda that last year. So. Right. Right. And fun, you know, speaking of that accident in Coda, the guy he crashed into is now his teammate. Right. And that's the, you know, and Alonzo, he doesn't put up with stuff. If, if something's wrong, he call, you know, he, he makes sure it's getting addressed. And so yeah. having a guy like that, I think Vettel, while obviously Vettel is hugely experienced and knowledgeable, I don't know that he's the same kind of personality as Alonzo, where Alonzo is very so. much. I, I don't think so at all. I, yeah. I don't think Vettel was ever super competitive after his four wins with Red Bull. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just didn't see it. I didn't see it with Ferrari and I didn't see it True. With, with Aston Martin. But yeah, I think it is going to be interesting because Fernando is is pretty tight with, with mm -hmm. uh, Stroll Sr., yeah. And so it's going to be interesting to see if they if the dynamic changes with Stroll Jr., so to speak, and yeah. the father and the team in the presence of Alonzo. Yeah. So so that's that's yeah. why to me they're a wild card is because Alonzo could very easily, you know, it's much like here's an analogy for any football fans out there. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers for the previous prior to a couple of years ago were for the previous like 10, 15 years were just kind of OK. They weren't great. They weren't terrible. They were just kind of OK. And then you have Tom Brady come along after the Patriots got rid of him. And Tom Brady is a guy that is a absolute game changer and changes the entire team dynamic. And suddenly he comes in there. And that year, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that year they go to the Super Bowl or at least the, the championship game. And and they did that a couple of years in a row. And one of them, they actually won the Super Bowl with that guy. So you have this team where they were just kind of OK. And then suddenly this absolute game changer dominant guy shows up and the whole team is different and behaves differently. Mm. And so in a similar way, obviously, Alonzo isn't Tom Brady, but he's a similar kind of character as Tom Brady. And I could see that happening at, at Aston Martin, for all I know. I mean, right. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Interesting. So. Well, well, well. Anyway, so any other big stories for the year? You know, uh, nope. I'm I think the wasn't too much. There wasn't too much in the news in the last week or so. That was uh, the Andretti stories kind of dropping out of the news. But Oh, here's another story for the year. Yeah. How is Hulkenberg going to get on? <laughs> How's he going to do? <laughs> well, I think it's going to take him, if I had to, it's going to take him two or three, maybe four races to get really settled in the car again. Yeah. But once he's settled and he's back into the groove, 
I think he's going to be very competitive. Yeah. I think yeah. he's going to get the most out of the car that he can. I, yeah. That's going to be exciting to watch. That is another kind of a mini wild card mm -hmm. to, 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 you know, keep an eye on. Yep. 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 Oh, and then I guess lastly, the, the other kind of story to think about is will the penalties and other things that Red Bull has to deal with, will, will those actually impact them or are they still going to just hit the ground running and, and dominate. I don't think it's going to, but I kind of don't either. I don't know. Like my, my, my initial kind of prediction is that thing, the order will roughly stay the same and Mercedes yeah. will probably, I, I think Red Bull will still be number one, but I don't think by as big a margin. I think Ferrari will still probably be roughly number two, but closer. And Mercedes will be again, number three, but closer. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All righty. Well, anything else? Any other headlines? No, that's that's all I can think of. All righty. Well, is it hot seat time? It, if one of us has a hot seat question, it's hot seat time. <laughs> all right. And so today you are in the hot seat once again. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> what, what do you got for me? Who would you pick out of all of F1 history? Who would you pick as the most, the best and most underrated driver? Because hmm. you you mentioned Alessandro Nanini earlier, and I had never heard of the guy. And you're like, I loved this guy back in the day. So it just yeah. struck me. I was like, well, I wonder who would you pick as like the, the most underrated? And he doesn't necessarily have to be super accomplished, but just someone that you liked that got no recognition. <laughs> or little le well, less recognition than they should have right it's hard to say because i forgot about that guy no. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah it's funny, that's, that's funny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry i'm just uh, i'm uh buying time here with the uh humor to think yeah. okay who would be the oh you know it's hard to say because it honestly this isn't like you in baseball like it's like second basemen are famous for being underrated and they're mm. so important, but they just never get credit. You know, mm -hmm. the shortstops get credit, the first baseman pitchers, catchers, you know, you know, but the second baseman never gets any credit in baseball and they're so integral to the team, you mm. know, but the difference between that and formula one is it's results driven. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to say, like, you, you would have to, if a guy is really good, he tends to get offers from more competitive teams. So True. it's not as common for somebody to be underrated. But having said that, I would think, you know, I'm thinking of guys like Felipe Massa, who, you know, I would think guys that were in the shadows of the good guys, of the guys that were famous, like oh, yeah. Schumacher. You know, you had like Felipe Massa. If he was not teammates with Schumacher, I think he could have probably done better than he did, you know, as far yeah. as results go. But there was no way to compete. But when, when literally Schumacher is your teammate, it's like, you know, any accomplishment you have is going to be like, <laughs> you know, overshadowed completely. So, yeah. And it's going to be like, and, 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 Team orders are, are there. They always oh, true. no matter what anybody says. Yeah. There's times where you're told to let the other guy win because he needs to to pad his championship. And yeah, I kind of felt that same way about Bottas being Lewis's yes. Lewis's a teammate because Bottas is a fantastic driver and he performed very well. But he's Lewis's teammate, so like, of course he's gonna get given team orders, and of course he if he wins, no one cares, and like. 
it just sucks. It's just kind of how the that role ends up sometimes. You know what? What might be more interesting to say is which drivers were kind of overrated, like who stayed beyond their cell and that's oh. kind of a different way to, you know. It's well, maybe not that'll be next week. <laughs> it's not a positive way to look at the question, but you know. Yeah. So maybe, maybe we don't go there because we like to keep things positive on our podcast. Yeah. But, um, thinking back in history, I think honestly, I think Holkenberg kind of had a bad rap. You know, he did. Yeah. For his years, and I always liked him, so I'm glad to see him come back. I think Nelson Piquet didn't always. You know, he wasn't around as much as I thought that he should be around. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I liked him as a driver and Nanini, but but that's understandable. I like Gerhard Berger with when he was with Ferrari. I think he was excellent. Oh yeah, uh, he was one of my favorite drivers. That isn't necessarily super famous for what he did. Mm-hmm. I think. Like I like Martin Brundle as a driver, although that I believe that sixth place finish in Suzuka was his best of his career. Oh. He was around up until like ninety six, sometime in the mid nineties. Yeah, it's funny how that's quite similar to Hulkenberg, who you also mentioned, because it's like yeah. you know, the guy's great but never won a race. You know, yeah, Nico Rosberg is another one that he kind of quit early, you know, yeah. <laughs> kind of got his title and left, which is cool, you know, but mm-hmm. I think he should have stayed around a little bit longer, but I liked him. Yeah, know? yeah. So, yeah, there's um, one guy that I really think was on the ascendancy and then he had an injury is Robert Kubica. And he was, oh, yeah. Um, he was a really good driver. He was really did, good. Really good. But he had an off season injury that kept him out of Formula One. Yeah. It, it pretty much effectively ended his career. He's a test driver now or a backup driver. Yeah, yeah. And he he did race last year. You know, he got some seat time. But but he he was really up and like I'm like, okay, this guy's gonna be somebody. And then he had that accident and it, I think it really yeah. affected his shoulder, maybe his neck and in an arm and, and he had a huge recovery. Yeah. Um, so that's another kind of a, you know, one of those tragic stories, but he did recover from it, but that was, um, and I'll tell you what, one driver that I, I really, he didn't stay around as long as I thought he was. And that was Ralph Schumacher. Oh yeah. I yeah. thought he was a good driver and I'm thinking Juan Pablo Montoya was another one who wasn't around F1 as long as I thought he would be. Hmm. And Michael Andretti, I think he only did one or two seasons in Formula One and just never really um, yeah. was successful, but you know, not nearly as, you know, like his father, but he, yeah. Yeah, he gave it a go, you know, but I don't know all the details as far as whether it was him or the car or a combination of the above, but yeah. 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 So yeah, there, there's a few yeah. that kind of fit that category, but, but I think for the most part, the the really good ones bubble to the top and they are successful. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. I I think I'm I'm going to pick one for this and it's going to be one you did not mention and I've never heard okay. anyone ever talk about. <laughs> but this guy raced in the 70s uh, okay. and and a little bit in the 80s I think, early yeah, up until the mid 80s. And I watched a lot I I like watching a lot of these old uh there's a couple of like documentaries that basically mm-hmm. summarize, they go through each event by event and they summarize what happened at the event. So in like three hours ish, you can watch a whole season basically. And you get yeah. like the, the, the bullet points of what happened in that season. And so I started doing that for the seventies 
And one driver that stuck out to me that I noticed, this guy, his name is John Watson. Mm -hmm. And he was uh, a British driver, and he raced for Brabham, Surtees, Lotus, Penske, and McLaren at various points in his career. And he was just a guy that I noticed would start like 20th and and finish 5th. And he'd start like 17th and finished 7th. And like he was just this guy that I noticed over and over and over just come from the absolute back of the grid. And sometimes he would be up in the podium positions and then his car would blow up. And it's just like, oh, poor guy. Mm. (laughs) But I just noticed this trend of like this guy just constantly has these starts from the back and is just, you know, passes everyone races. And I just thought that was really cool to see. Yeah, and he never won a championship, but he w- did win five races and got twenty podiums over his career. So he's pretty well accomplished. But so yeah, I don't know. He was just one of those drivers that seemed to he, he was he was pretty well accomplished, but like he he just never got any notoriety, I guess. Okay, what 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 years was he active? He started in seventy three, and his okay. last year was eighty five. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's. Um, you know, I don't know. It's kind of funny because I don't know a lot about him. His I know. <laughs> I didn't know of him at all before yeah, watching some of those. But no, so. that's well, that's a good observation, though. Uh, yeah. I'll have to. I'll pay attention to his name as I as I yeah. go through. And, John and Watson, these, uh, British guy. John Watson. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Anyway. Elementary. Yes, <laughs> my dear Watson. <laughs> yes, exactly. Anyway, well, another guy, though, I was thinking of that we kind of mentioned in different contexts was Martin Brundle himself was. Oh, yeah. A, he was he had a reputation as a really good, aggressive driver, and he just did not have the results in Formula mm. One. But he's still around the sport. He's still, you know, he's commentator. He knows the sport. Yeah, I love him as a commentator. Oh, I do. I do, too. But he, you know, and he, and he had a good reputation as a driver, but the results just didn't follow. And sometimes that happens, you know. Yeah. But it doesn't take anything away. Like, they can be very, they made it to Formula One. And that's the one thing I'd like to kind of, yes. maybe we can cap off this, this discussion. We're talking about the best of the best. Yeah. And even if you're, you know, if your results are average in Formula One, it's like saying you're an average astronaut who's been to the moon. You know, <laughs> you, know yeah. you may not be Neil Armstrong, but you were still there, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what it's like. I mean, it's just such an elite group of people yeah. who managed. And, you know, they, depending, well, on any era, but especially times past, you know, you're, you are literally putting your life on the line every time you mm-hmm. get in the car and, and you're able to put that out of your mind and race at such a high level that, you know, that they keep you around, you know, like Martin Brundle was around formula one for, he had a good career, you know, like mm-hmm. eight year career or whatever, you know, maybe longer. And, and that that's great for him. So, but he's another guy that you just don't hear talked about a lot because he didn't have the fantastic results. He didn't win a championship and things. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, he was a really good driver. So that's, yeah, I thought I'd mention him and then just cap the whole thing up by saying, yeah, we are not criticizing any of these people because no. they are the best of the best. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, anyway. it is one of those things. It's like every, every driver and it, and it's, I think this is why a lot of times people get, um, maybe they, they criticize drivers a lot is because it's like, do you deserve to be in that elite group? But I think honestly, for the most part, by and large, every driver who's come through F1 has deserved to be there. 
And yeah, well, we live in a very critical era, especially that's the also true. People. The internet people <laughs> criticize true. everything and everybody to the nth degree. Like, yeah, people are way too critical these days, and yeah, too annoyingly critical. But yeah. you just have to laugh at them and move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, oh, by the by the way, yeah, how do people reach us, Matt? If they want to comment on what we're, who are there, who do they think is an, uh, their underrated driver if we didn't mention them and why? How can they reach us? Well, Dan, I am really glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you can reach us at either Matt at withmyuncle.com or Dan at withmyuncle.com. And you can ask us any question at all or you can weigh in on any of the topics we've discussed here. Or you can give like you can give me a hot seat question for Dan, or give Dan a hot seat question for me, and there you go. You know, you know, we will we will work that in. So, all right, that'll be that. Anything else before we wrap up? I think we're done. righty. Well, thanks so much for listening, guys, and we will be back in about one week's time with an as yet undetermined topic. But until then, thanks so much for listening, and take care of yourselves. <laughs>